just during worship, had a sense from the Lord, or rather a reminder actually, that we should look to him. We should take this special opportunity that gathering together as the corporate body, church, is to look at him, to remind ourselves of who he is. I don't know if you're like me, but when I engage in sung worship, I can find it very easy to get distracted by what I need to do at work, that email to answer, that meeting to prepare for, family life, children, wife, the house, what needs to be fixed, people to meet up with, friends to make sure I arrange something with, whatever it might be, switching your utility bills. I'm giving you all examples that I've gone through recently. Um, And it's so easy just to get distracted by those thoughts when actually what other time during the week do we get that's so unique as our time specifically on a Sunday morning, but wherever or whenever any other churches meet, what other special unique time do we get to actually listen to words of truth we're singing, to listen to the words of truth being preached, to pray words of truth, just all these great things to remind ourselves of who God is, what he's done for us in our lives, and to actually just for a couple of hours, just to forget about everything else and to focus our attention on God. So just encouragement to do that. Hopefully we've been doing it through worship, but we're continuing with worship now, just hearing from his words. So let's just pray very briefly together. Father God, thank you that you have given us your word, your true word in the Holy Scriptures. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said the truth will set us free. And your word is the truth. So I pray now that you would set us free from whatever we need setting free from by hearing your words proclaims, Lord. Just help us to open our hearts, open our minds, and just to receive whatever it is that you have specifically for us. Amen. So, on Thursday, just gone, um, our small group had a worship night. So, for most of the time, our small group will meet up and we'll do what usually any other traditional small group will do. We'll have a time of uh, worship led by someone in our group. We'll have a time of Bible study. We'll have a time of prayer and thanksgiving, communion, uh, and then we'll go off uh, to our normal lives for the rest of the week. But every so often, once a term actually, we'll gather together at someone else's house um, and we will have what we call a worship night. So it's a night where As you can imagine, we just get together, we catch up with one another briefly beforehand, and we all sit down, stand up, lay down, whatever feels comfortable to us that will help us engage in uh, God's presence. And we will just have a full, usually two hours actually, of just worship, singing, praying, praising, petitioning, all that stuff, just enjoying the presence of God. And this Thursday just gone, we were at at the Dark's house, and we were kindly led by Matt and Beth, uh, who did a great job. And it was just punctuated with people sharing passages of Scripture, people giving thanks to God for different things that He's done in their lives, uh, people sharing what they sensed the Holy Spirit was imparting on their hearts for someone else in the room, in the living room. And it was brilliant. It was lovely. It was 
it was led by the group, which is always my biggest encouragement, and I hardly did much at all. But one thing that stood out for us, particularly this Thursday night, was we kept revolving around this um, element of fear, that there's fear in each and every one of our lives to a lesser or greater degree in all different contexts. And we were praying about that. We were praying for particular people who had a certain element of fear in their lives that they just wanted supplication for, they wanted intercession for. We prayed for them. We sang songs that were declaring our defeat of fear and being frightened and being worried and being anxious. We shared passages of scripture that talk exactly against being uh, fearful as well. And it was just interesting and very encouraging to just note how common fear is in most, if not every single one of our lives at some point in our lives. And we've been doing a sermon series recently. I think Richard and Jim, I think there might have just been two so far, but I just want to continue this series we're doing, looking at the opposite of fear, which isn't necessarily not having fear, but actually taking courage. We're doing a series on courage. I just want to continue looking at what it means to be a courageous Christian. So, if you've got your Bible with you, because it won't be on the screen, grab it and turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verse 1 to 8. Book of Deuteronomy 31, 1 to 8. It says, So, Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So, Richard, in the first sermon we did in this series, he started at the beginning of the book of Joshua, which precedes the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Uh, And that is God speaking directly to Joshua, pretty much reiterating exactly what I've just read there. 
But this chapter that I just wanted us to go a little bit back in time to look at is God speaking yes to Joshua just at the end. But the verses I want us to look at are the several before then where God is speaking specifically to all of Israel. I was thinking this morning, actually, just as I was going over it, it's so easy for us, at least it is for myself, when we read the Bible, to superimpose our lives on the key characters. I'm Joshua. I'm David. I'm Jesus. I'm Paul. When actually, I was thinking, maybe this is just me, I was thinking, actually, I'm more like the sub-characters. I'm more like the characters that need the most help. Those guys were like the super godly ginks, uh, super godly saints guys, whereas I'm really more like Israel, constantly turning back to God, constantly repenting, constantly asking for forgiveness, constantly turning back to him, constantly asking for his help time after time. If you remember the story of Israel in the wilderness wanderings for those 40 years, it was a story of blessing, failing. Blessing, failing, or blessing, failing, turning back. Blessing, failing, turning. And that's me. That is me because I'm just a human being that's flawed and that's fallen. So here we find Moses speaking, of course, on behalf of God because he's the prophet of God. He's the mouthpiece, the spokesman of God. And he's in this place called Moab. So if you could picture it now, here's the lands that we're going to eventually call Israel once Israel goes and takes possession of it. That's the land. You've got the ocean there. That's the land. You've got the river Jordan, and then you've got this place called Moab. So here's the people of Israel. They've made it this far in their wilderness wanderings. They were on the precipice of taking possession of the inheritance that God had promised them years ago through their forefather, the, the guy called Abraham. Abraham had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham, that guy. So God promised Abraham, he promised Isaac, he promised Jacob, all the sons, this is a big family, you're going to get this land, this land called Canaan, that eventually gets called Israel after the people of Israel. You're going to get this land called Canaan, it's going to be my inheritance, and you're going to take ownership of it. This is the place where you're going to worship me, glorify me, make much of me, and where you're going to multiply and be fruitful and be blessed and be prospered as a nation and just as a people in uh, as a people anyway so here's Moses that's their situation they've come all the way from Egypt Egypt if you remember 40 years ago where they were slaves they've done a big horse shoe shape completely going right round because they had to go through 40 years of discipline basically because they messed up and God needed to teach them some stuff God needed to shape and mold them so they could see how great and glorious and wonderful he is and how much they needed him same for us today so they did a horseshoe shape they're in this place called Moab and Moses is on the plains of Moab it's called and he's just given them his last spiel he's given them his last speech Moses is 120 years old and God has said you're not going to go into the promised land you're not going to join the people of Israel because he disobeyed him, but it wasn't part of his plan either. Instead, Joshua is going to succeed you. He's going to take the reins, and he's going to lead the people into Israel. So Moses is that old. He's about to pass the baton on to Joshua. He's gathered all Israel to listen to his final speech, and his final speech consists of, this is what's going to happen to you. This is, what's, this is what you're going to do. But then also, and this is, these are the verses I want us to highlights and we're going to just break it down as we go through it 
It's verse 6. I'm just going to look at one verse. My small group gets so annoyed at me because we go through Bible studies and Kirsty and Alex particularly just gets annoyed because I will just spend an hour on two verses. And that's why it takes us a couple of years to get through a book. I'm sorry, but it's good. Um, So it's verse 6 because there's so much in it. Like, it's too much. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So the first thing, the first part of that verse, the first sentence, be strong and courageous. So take courage. Take courage. Take courage. Israel and Joshua needed to hear that from their gods before they were going to go into that unknown land. They needed, to, they needed to hear it just like we do for several reasons. So Israel were losing their leader. Moses was the prophet. He was the guy who gathered them together, who spoke on behalf of God to them and to lead them and direct them. And they were losing him. It's like they were losing a father figure. The same with Joshua. He was losing his mentor. The guy that was teaching him and training him, the guy that was preparing him to go into the future, he was going to lose him as well. They're in a state of loss. And they feel alone and isolated. Like a family who might lose a father. That sense of, what are we going to do now? We're going to have to pick up the pieces after Moses is gone. So that's in verse 2. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. I'm going, but you're not on your own. Israel were about to enter an unknown territory that was, it was pagan. They didn't care about gods. They didn't know how to worship gods. They did strange things that wouldn't even have entered the mind of God. Example, child sacrifice, things like that. Things that God detested, they were going to go into that land and be in the midst of it all. Trying to be a blessing. They're blessed to be a blessing. Israel were about to enter into an unknown territory and Joshua was stepping into a new and important role. So verse 3 says, The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. Joshua is about to pick up a mantle. He's going to be the head honcho, the leader, the servant leader, the one who's going to take all the responsibility. It's a lot of pressure. Israel, though, they were under pressure from their enemies. And Joshua, that's you. Is that why you're saying hi? Joshua. (laughs) Uh, Israel were under pressure from their enemies. And Joshua was under the expectation of his tribe. So verse 4, And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, great names, the kings of the Amorites and to their land when he destroyed them. So Israel were going to be under the pressure of constant war. They were going into a war zone now to repossess the land. And Joshua 
was under the expectations of his own tribe, like we all are. We're all under expectation. We're all under that pressure. He had the weight of perhaps a million or so people to care for and to look after in a war zone. Everyone was under pressure. So that's why Moses says, Moses reminds him, take courage, be strong. So obviously it's always helpful to start with the basics because we throw words out like courage and we just kind of don't think, oh yeah, courage. What is courage though actually? What's what's the meaning behind it? Because we use it so liberally, but let's just remind ourselves perhaps of what it means. So courage, bear with me on this, okay? I looked behind the actual words that's used, okay? It's a Hebrew word, because obviously the Old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew, and it's pronounced, oh yeah, it's called aumatz. So be strong and aumatz. And aumatz, when I looked it up, when the author of Deuteronomy was writing this, what he was trying to say was, be strong bold and alert. So be alert, focus, be bold, you know, be brunt, if that's the right word, you know, stick your chest out type of thing and go for it. But there's also another word that this little book was telling me about called, it's also like being stout, be stout. And it got me thinking about beer. I enjoy beer. Joel and I enjoy a lot of beer. Okay, come around my house, go into my garage, it's a bit embarrassing, Kerry gets embarrassed because it looks like I'm an alcoholic because there's lots of crates in there. Just one, I have one a week, that's all. But one that I'm not particularly fond of was... (laughs) Oh, oh yeah, just a bottle. (laughs) Otherwise I wouldn't be here this morning, quite frankly, if that was the case. Um, One bottle a week, and there's one type of beer that I'm not as big of a fan of. I'm, an, I'm a pale ale man. I'm a golden ale man. I'm a lager man. What I'm not, though, so much is a stout. So for those of you who don't know, and I'm just learning this stuff as well, this craft beer stuff, a stout, correct me if I'm wrong later, it's quite thick, okay? It's quite warming. I, I think of it as a Christmas beverage. I usually have it when it's cold outside, and it kind of warms me up. It's quite thick. It's quite strong. Once you've had one, you don't want dinner, like, it's, you're done. Just, it's, it's enough. That's what courage is like. Be a stout beer when you think of courage, okay? Be filling. Be strong. Be brusque. Be, okay? That's all I can say on it. Just be like a stout, okay? For those of you who don't drink, because that, that's absolutely fine. Think of a different analogy. That's fine. Then, Nelson Mandela has a great quotes that he's known for saying. He says, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who doesn't feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Now, I think we can forget that. We need to balance that with what Jesus says repetitively, which is do not be afraid. So there is that sense in which you're so courageous that it's almost like you don't fear things. But fear isn't just being some superhuman where you're like not afraid. Not afraid of that, whatever, doesn't affect me. We get afraid of loads of things. What it means to be courageous is it's in spite of that fear. It's 
regardless of that fear, we do it anyway. We persevere, we endure, we perform that action, we say that word, whatever it might be. We feel it because we're human and we've got emotions. Excuse me. But it's doing it anyway that conquers the fear. That's what it means to be courageous. Excuse me. So we know something simply of what uh, courage is, but who do we take that courage from? We get courage from lots of things. You know, you might be emboldened by uh, your wife or, or your kids and wanting to provide for them or protect them or your work, wanting to do a good job to promote the company or the charity, all these little things. And that's true and good and brilliant. But ultimately, what our courage should come from is the one who gave the example par excellence of courage, the greatest example, and you know his name, it's Jesus Christ. He is the God's man who demonstrated the most courage that any human, because he was both fully human and fully God, he feared things, dare I say, it's true, he feared things. You remember the garden in Gethsemane? He was so afraid that it was like he was sweating, if not could have actually been sweating uh, beads of blood just before his crucifixion. He cried out to God. Jim was saying just then about, um, about um, there were godly men in the Bible who said, where are you, God? And Jesus said on the cross, God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Calling back to David who said that in the Psalms, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus was afraid. So don't be ashamed and don't be embarrassed if you feel afraid because you're just a human and that's fine. But it's Jesus we look to for our example to take courage. Here's a man who was impoverished, relied on the kindness of ladies who would house him or who would give him money, was hated by most of the people, not all of them, thankfully, but most of the people, was thought of as a political enemy, was a religious fanatic. People abandoned him. Most of his disciples, except for 12, we read, abandoned him. His parents think, his mother, sorry, his family think he's crazy at one point, we read, and don't want anything to do with him. And then he eventually ends up dying a criminal's death, possibly naked, bloodied up, bruised on a cross after suffering um, floggings and beatings, etc. He was a man who did that, knowing full well he did nothing wrong. If that's not what courage is, I don't know what is. A man who does something, goes through something, knowing he's not the cause, he's not to blame, but does it anyway for a greater cause. He's our example of courage, a man that died on a cross for you and for me, even though he didn't deserve it, and we did. So he's the one we should take courage from. Where should we take that courage from? We take, so we take it from that person, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, but where do we specifically look for that courage? Two key places, his blood-stained cross and his empty tomb. What greater, again, examples and demonstrations of courage is that than to see a cross that's empty, but full of blood, his blood, and a grave that's empty as well. <laughs> a grave that's empty. A grave where a man isn't there anymore, where a man who was dead physically, literally, in time, not just in our hearts, all that, physically, really rose from the dead. And that's what we believe as Christians. So we look to his cross, we look to his 
empty grave and we take courage from there, knowing these two things, that there's victory in his blood on the cross, first of all. So whatever you're going through today, whatever's making you scared, whatever is giving you anxiety, whatever you're not sure of, which is most of us here, when we remember Jesus' blood that was purposefully poured out for us, we remember we're victorious. We've got, we've got the victory. We might not get it in this life. Moses never saw the promised land. That's why it was a promise to him. You, your, your ancestors will see it. Maybe we won't see the fruit of our labors that we need to take courage for or are afraid of at the moment. Maybe we won't see the results, but we will one day because there's a future waiting for us after this life, after this world. There's a hope and a future that's waiting for us in God's full presence, in his kingdom. There's a place Jesus has gone to make and prepare for you to sit down at. His name's written in his book of life. His name's graven on his heart and in his hands. Your name, actual, your full name, that no one else has that name or that DNA. He's got it and he's secured it. So there's victory in his blood so we can have victory over our fears and there's power in his resurrection as well. We can have power to actually persevere through that which we're afraid of. There's, actual, there's, a, there's actually a possibility, there's, a, there's ability in us, that's God's power, to say no to that fear or to drive straight through it anyway, enduring it. There's victory and there's power. Doesn't mean we don't have to be afraid, but it does mean we don't have to fear because we, we will go through it anyway in spite of it, regardless of it. So take courage. Then, the next part, so be strong and courageous. Then the next part, do not fear or be in dread of them. This is all verse six. Do not fear or be in dread of them. So Israel, if you look a bit further on in the book of Deuteronomy and Judges, God says, these are the peoples you're gonna not have to be afraid of and be courageous against. Okay, we always struggle when we read them because they're complicated. Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Basically, just a bunch of people groups, just a bunch of different nationalities in this particular country. So, God through Moses is saying, don't be afraid of them. Don't be in dread of them. These nations were three things. They were foreign, they were pagan, and they were powerful. So that's just, you know, we can be honest as humans. The unknown scares us. That which we're not familiar with can frighten us. It's all part of our culture at the moment. It's a big thing, isn't it? You know, xenophobia or something, afraid of that which is different or different, foreign, etc. But it's true. It's a fact of life. What we don't know, we're afraid of. But what emphasizes that then is when what we don't know really doesn't like God. So pagan really doesn't like the good news of Jesus. Is really actually opposite to all that as well. That can make us afraid. That made the Israelites afraid. But then what kind of nails the coffin shut or feels like it nails the coffin shut, there's hope, of course, is that they're powerful as well. These are people groups that were known to be powerful, strong, a couple of which even defeat Israel, if you read later on, and God's with them, and they still get defeated. That's how powerful they are. Of course, it's all part of God's plan, which is great, so we can always have hope. But they were foreign, they were 
pagan and they were powerful. They were different, they were anti-gods, and they were powerful in being all those things as well. But Israel was commanded to not fear those in the land, so we're, not, so we're commanded not to fear those in our lives. We're not going to war with anyone. Well, we don't want to go to war with anyone these days. But we apply that to our own lives. We've got things in our lives that make us afraid. Things that are genuinely powerful. Things that we think, I can't overcome this temptation. I can't overcome this desire. I can't seem to get the victory in this issue in my life. But we've got, not just this story, but the entire Holy Scriptures, as an example, Paul said, everything that happened and was written down was written down for your example, to help you, to look back on and remember you can do it through God who's doing it with you and for you. So whatever's going on in your life that's making you fearful, that seems powerful, that seems totally against God, but you can't help it. Paul says, the thing I want to do, I can't do, and the thing I can't, and the thing I can't do, I want to do, it's a, it's a battle. But it's a battle that does have a good ending. But we'll get on to that. So just a few things I just wanted to highlight for us in the modern day to reflect from Israel, to take encouragement from Israel. Take courage in your home. Home can be really difficult. Israel were the people of God. They were to reflect and imitate God. We're the people of God now in the New Testament times, because we're in the New Testament times. We're the people of God and we're to be fearless and take courage as well. Take it at home. Take courage at home. There's a friend of mine who's actually here and I did, I fact-checked what I'm going to say first of all and I asked if it was okay because I didn't know he'd be here. So it was a bit awkward. So I had to say during communion, can I share your story just a little bit? And he said, that's fine. So I've got a friend who's from Swansea and uh, we met, well, we actually, I knew of him and I think he knew of me back in Swansea College when we when I was studying sports and he was studying something else. Um, and I'd see him at the gym, so I used to go to the gym, don't anymore, but I saw him at the gym. And uh, he, his story is that he was a karate championship in some, I'm looking at him a little bit, just to make sure now. He, he did karate, hardcore karate, winning championships, you know, like under whatever age, etc. cetera. Um, and he was hitting the gym, he was pumped, he was going for it. And he had a falling out with a guy, a guy that was coming to my church. And he had fallen out with him. So he thought, right, Sunday night, I'm going to go to this bloke's church. His name was Johnny. I can say that because you don't know him. Um, I'm going to go to this bloke's church, and I'm going to sort this out. We're going to have a chat. We're going to sort this out. You know, I'm offended. He's offended. We're just going to sort this out. Maybe with a little bit of imitation, intimidation thrown in because he was and all that. So he goes, he goes there on Sunday morning, and Sunday evening. He, Johnny's there, okay, but he sits under the preaching of God's words and he doesn't do anything. He goes home, comes back next Sunday, sits under the preaching of God's words and then that second one, I think, my friend just told me, was when he got saved and he was rescued and he went home and family were hostile. Family were a bit difficult, which is fair enough to a certain degree because you know, you're always going to be a bit afraid when your son looks like he's joining a cult or something. So it was a bit hostile. It was a difficult environment to be in. They weren't happy. He was stifled. So he ended up having to leave, take all his things in his car, 
leave them in his car and go and live in the Bible College of Wales. Some of you might know Bible College of Wales in Swansea. He lived there for a little bit. Now, he lives with his parents at the moment, which is great. There's unity and there's forgiveness and there's acceptance there. But for a lot of people, that can be the situation. A hostile home environment, an unsaved spouse, an unsaved children, or children who aren't interested, or whatever it might be, home can be difficult sometimes to try and live a courageous Christian life. But we're to take courage anyway. We're to do it with kindness and gentleness and respect and honor, but also as salt and light in how we interact with our family. And God's with us when we do that, just like he was with Israel. So take courage at home. Take courage at friends. I've got a lot of Swansea stories because I'm feeling, not homesick, but you you miss your home, don't you, sometimes? When I was a kid in a youth group, we went to a Friday night youth event at a place called Zach's Place. Zach's Place used to be a pub that a biker guy got converted at and he changed the pub into a church. It met down an alleyway. So we were like, you know, 13, 14, 15, going down this alleyway on Friday night at 9 p.m. to this place called Zach's Place where all the bikers would hang out. And it was a youth event going on. The church was actually called Zach's Place, a church for ragamuffins. I wish I thought it was, it was great. It was just so stripped back, and you'd see guys in their leather jackets with their chains hanging down. They've got their bikes parked outside. It was right opposite an abandoned church, actually, which I think might be turned into an Indian now. Um, but they got their bikes like outside and everything. And they, we had a relationship with this biker preacher, so we went to his church, listened to a guy called Matt Hopkins uh, give a preach, and he was talking about when he was in school and his, the fact he wasn't a Christian when he was in school. And that now that he's become a believer, he so wishes it had been earlier so that he could have witnessed to his friends. And I was just sitting there like, I am terrible at witnessing to my friends. I mean, the times I've done it has been so pathetic. (laughs) And really, you know, when you self-evaluate how you did it. And I was just sitting there like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I, yeah, I struggle with it. it. It's, I'm not particularly interested, or I seem to fail, or they think I'm weird. Think I'm strange, Jonathan Dirk. Everyone seemed to know my name, but I don't know if it was good or bad. It was like probably bad. Um, and uh, I just, I was just atrocious at it. But the point being, let's take courage even with those relationships we find difficult or those relationships we really value, our friendships, our colleagues, so we can have a good foot in work or at the home. You know, we want to do our best. We want to promote ourselves well so that we can earn well, so that we can value our relationships but that's difficult when we are fearful so let's take courage in our friendships as well let's love our friends and our colleagues enough to be salt and light in their presence because that's true love to them they may not think it but it is to be salt and light to them and to as appropriately tell them the truth in love from time to time or just act the truth as well Um, take courage amidst the culture Let's be bold in the face of our politically correct landscape. So all I just want to say is on this, we live in a worldview that has just changed. It is not the Christian worldview anymore, with no no right to be, because the country isn't Christian, so that's fine. Um, But we're still called to be salt and light. We're still called to reflect the good news in our culture Okay, when we watch the news, when we watch that TV show, when we read that article in the paper, we're to be salt and light, counter-cultural. But when we do that, 
we're to do it with gentleness and kindness and grace and mercy and love and tenderness when we interact with people, not with scorn. Oh, they're doing it wrong. Why are they doing like, why are they behaving like that? Oh, why is the government doing that? You know, oh, blah, 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 and all this stuff, which is fine because we've got a calling to influence and impact and change the culture, but to do it in a good news way. So, take courage, don't fear the world, and lastly, and we'll draw it to a close. Hello. Lastly, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So, God is with us, basically. God just says it as it is simple. I'm with you. Joshua and Israel had to rely on an, on an ark. They had to rely on a tabernacle and later on they had to rely on a temple all signs to remind them oh yeah God's with us or or the presence of God oh we're going to war we need to bring up the ark because that's God's being present with us they couldn't just go to war by themselves they needed the ark to know that God was with them but we don't have the ark anymore we don't have a tent anymore because we've got something better because we've got something that's fuller we've got we've got the thing that those things were pointing to The ark and the tent were pointing to something greater. They were pointing to the actual presence of God being inside of each and every one of us, poured out by Jesus. The Holy Spirit, that is, poured out by Jesus. So just two things. God is with you. Remember these two things. We have a promise with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will be with you even until you die until I come back. He's repeating what God said through Moses when he said, God is with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. We have that promise. And it's a true promise. It's a lasting. We're never alone. You're never alone when you're feeling afraid or isolated or difficult or in difficult times. God is with you always and forever because he's promised and he speaks the truth because he is truth. Therefore, what he says is true. If God says he's with you, then he's with you of a truth. And that's the end of it. No more discussion. No more doubting. Although we, I'm sure we will do throughout life. We have a promise. And then best of all, we have a person with us as well. If you're a believer, then the fact of the matter is, and you wouldn't have felt this, you may not have felt this, but the fact of the matter is when you got saved, Jesus poured his Holy Spirit into you as a deposit, as a sign that I'm with you. Jesus isn't with us anymore in person. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, clothed with power and majesty, and will one day come back and we'll see him. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So aren't we alone then? No, because God's with us by his words, which we engage with regularly. But he's with us by his person. His Holy Spirit is in us. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you, living and active shaping and molding you, changing and transforming you. So just to close then, just a couple of questions. What are you afraid of? You are afraid of something. I'm afraid of something. I have been this weekend afraid of something. I won't share it with you, but I have been. You're afraid of something. So that's not to say what are you afraid of, because you shouldn't be afraid of something. It's to say, be honest with yourself. What are you afraid of? Because the first step in not being afraid and taking courage is to say, I'm afraid of something. It's like a son coming to a father saying, you know what, I'm not going to 
ignore it. Dad, I'm afraid of something. Can you help me? Take that first step first by the power of the Holy Spirit and say to God, our Father, I'm afraid of this. And then also, remember God is with you through Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Yeah, you are afraid of something, but Jesus isn't afraid of anything because he's powerful and he's victorious and he's with you. And then what can you take courage for today? Practically speaking, do you have a heart for a particular ministry in this church? Do you have a passion to get something started? Are you afraid what people will think of you? Are you afraid that people will be against you? We're not that culture anyway. But what do you have a heart for? What do you have a passion for? What do you want to see reignited? Hope Mums, great example, Lorna and Hannah. What do you want to see reignited? What do you want to start again and plan again? Telling your faith to others. Are you afraid of that? God's with you. You could screw it up royally like I did, but you were obedient and God will be with you. Using your gifts. Use your gifts. Try some gifts. Try things out. Be different. Take a step out. Renewing that relationship person you struggle with and find difficult that has alienated you step out and be courageous asking for forgiveness being merciful asking being humble enough by God's power with you to ask for forgiveness the future job calling money mortgage bills kids etc the future God's with you and he'll help you and then lastly we can just remember this as we go and as I close. We can have courage because God has promised to be with us and he can't fail. God said he'll be with you. God said you'll be with us. God is God. God can't fail. Okay? Follow him. He'll be with us. So let's just take courage today. And over to Josephine. Oh, no, we're done because I take ages. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. Have a good, uh, have a good day.